Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. Hey, John. Hey. Hey. Can we talk about penises and vaginas today? (laughs) (gasps) Gasp. Yes. Could we? (laughs) Should we? Would we? Uh, Mostly about penises. Shall we? We shall. (laughs) Um, So for a sex podcast, I realize sometimes we talk more about the politics and less about the actual sex. So this would be a more sex heavy episode. Um, Cool. You have a penis. I don't have a penis. I do. You do. So I was actually digging through recently uh, some school notes from a couple of years ago when I attended a training certification program with a bevy of amazing speakers. One of them was this guy... Uh, Paul Nelson, he's worked at Mount Sinai Men's Health Center. He owns or started the website franktalk.org. It's an erectile dysfunction website resource. So this guy spends a lot of time with penises, all kinds of penises. And I feel like I learned a lot from him. I wanted to read you some of the things I had written down from class a couple of years ago so that we can all refresh ourselves or learn something. Did you know the L1 and the S1 nerves are in charge of ejaculation? So I'm going to assume that means the lumbar one and the sacral one. If you are in an armed force, you know that, or even if you aren't, a lot of returning combat military that has any kind of spinal cord injury deals with infertility issues or erectile issues. So nerve damage is a big deal. Um, But the pudendal nerve that wraps around, whether you have a penis or vagina or ambiguous genitals, the pudendal nerve that wraps around can actually uh, be damaged by repeated weight and force. So even if you ride a bicycle, Hmm. a bicycle really hard, this is why split bicycle seats exist to protect the pudendal nerve. So some people have sperm. Okay, there's a there's a big this is a big web question. Is there sperm in pre-cum? There can Um, be. There can be. Yeah, I'd wonder because like there can be remaining in like the the tube, right? So if it's pulling up before Mm -hmm. or or does that come like right away? Uh, So. Because my understanding has been pre-cum is largely um, just like ejaculatory fluid, but not necessarily with um, like the the sperm mixed in. It's just like semen, I think. Yeah. So um, there is some um, 65% prostate 
So ejaculate is only 5% sperm typically in the first place, uh, which is still about 600 million sperm in a healthy ejaculation of the average young Damn. Male. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Um, so again, when people are like, you can't get pregnant from rape. Well, if there's 600 million sperm going in there, why the hell not? No. Uh, so ejaculate is only about 5% sperm. The remainder is seminal fluid at about 35%. And the rest is prostatic fluid. Uh, I don't know what the prostatic fluid is for. Probably just like a, a barrier and like a, a lubricant. You know how pussies, when they become wet and the pH changes to allow for the semen to go in there. If I'm yeah. wrong, somebody please tell me. But so basically, yeah, it's just facilitating. It's like the basket holding the eggs. <laughs> Can't shoot the eggs out by themselves. Hmm. So I assume the fluid is to help lubricate and to transfer. So the point is that depending on the person, probably depending on how much sperm you're producing in the first place will dictate how much viable sperm could be left in there and come out with pre-ejaculate, pre-cum. Um, so this is just something yeah. to keep in mind because like if you're thinking about pregnancy risks, your pregnancy risk is not the yeah. same with every potential. Yeah, it's not the same with yeah. every potential partner anyway. So, I mean, people's pH changes, some people... Um, their pHs are going to be more uh, damaging to the sperm or not, or it's going to host it better. Oh, I was going to say that it was funny uh, talking about the, the pre-cum because I've noticed that recently and uh, especially, but not always when I, uh, when I turn my bed's vibration on, like, and I'm getting fucked, I'll pre-cum a ton. And I've always wondered if it was like, you know, if there's any sperm in that at all. So it's interesting to find out that there kind of is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's still so much we don't know, too. We as in like... I'm glad there are no pregnancy risks on my head. Yeah. Because I did not know that, but... Lucky. Yeah. Lucky, lucky. Uh, penises want friction. Uh, a, something that a lot of cis women don't think about. We're so obsessed with like, is my pussy wet enough? You know, well, there's such a thing as too wet. I sometimes wipe my pussy off if there's too much lube or just my own secretion, like, because I yeah. want friction or else their dick's not going to feel yeah. anything. It's too much. Yeah. Otherwise, there's way less stimulation. Yeah. And for some people, if maintaining an erection is difficult, it's because they actually need more friction and they don't realize it. Hmm. And this could be because they're either... Uh, they've desensitized themselves from like squeezing their dick too hard and fast because doing that over time, you can wear down your nerves. Your nerves can become frayed. This is something that some sex educators don't know yet is that there is such a thing as over vibrating or overstimulating an area. You can huh. irritate the area. So if your dick becomes chapped <laughs> or your labia becomes yeah. chapped or your clitoris, that's too much friction and the nerves want to protect themselves and not keep sending the same signal if it's a warning to chill and you're not receiving the warning they're just going to stop you're overwhelming the area um yeah so if asses vaginas hands mouths if it's over lubricated you lose erection sometimes because of lack of sensation uh, how long do you usually masturbate for uh, for me, it varies if I'm in a hurry or not. If I'm not, then I can go like 20, 25 minutes. And if I'm in a hurry, then usually I'll keep it. Un or if I'm really horny, then I'll keep it under like five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, God, back when I used to take, and this is interesting because some people listening might be on it, but when I used to take Adderall, 
um, I would go for hours because stimulants would just like, mm. it was insane. Mm. Like literally hours. Like the orgasm wasn't even good. It was just the experience. Mm. Like I felt like I was constantly edging myself forever. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, the corpus cavernosa. So that's the part that gets all spongy and actually fills with blood that makes things become erect or engorged. Uh, yeah. Did you know, so for clits and penises, that's what this tissue is called, okay? Yeah. So why don't we call it engorgement dysfunction instead of erectile dysfunction? And here's why. Because when people have issues becoming engorged, it doesn't matter what kind of genitals they have because it can still stem from the same issues, which could be diet related or stress or adrenaline related or medication um and also it'd be interesting to name it that way because right? i feel like that would really raise awareness that women can also have mm-hmm. um problems with stimulation um so it's kind of interesting because a lot of people probably don't know that mm-hmm. they probably don't know that women have difficulties like you know, engorging mm-hmm. um, and then being stimulated afterwards as a fact. So mm-hmm. like that's, I, I want interesting. I like right? that. Thank you. I like that too. I want to, I want to open that conversation up a little bit more. I would like to, and maybe this is already a term. Shoot. Let's go. Let's look on Google right now. Let's see. <laughs> Engorge. I can type while I'm talking. I swear. Engorgement dysfunction. All right. So it comes up as a term. Vasculogenic female sexual dysfunction. Vaginal engorgement insufficiency. Okay, so engorgement dysfunction. I see it used here in a 1997 study. This is NCBI. Uh, okay, da, 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 da. 1998. It's the same study mentioned, 1997. So this is not a term used often, but it's been used before in a study specifically pertaining to engorgement of vaginal area. So I think we're on to something. Ooh, this is fun. Yeah. This is fun. It'd be interesting. Like if they started renaming it and like. Let's yeah. start renaming it. So let's yeah. call it engorgement dysfunction. If you feel like you have a challenge getting your shit to swell up and get puffy <laughs> and sensitive. Because yeah. I also encourage people with pussies notice when you become engorged and it looks different for everybody. And maybe some people don't even very much because of, again, medication, circulatory issues. But I, even if I'm giving a lap dance to a customer, if I become swollen, you know, my clit is erect or engorged or whatever, whether or not I'm turned on or if it's because I've been actually rubbing the area, but I will show them. I will say, look how swollen I am. Look how engorged I am. And that's very exciting for people. And it's also something a lot of people have never even had pointed out to them because we're so fucking obsessed with wet pussies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you like that. So cool. I do. Let's keep that. Let's keep that conversation going, folks. And I also want to hear from people. uh, Let's talk about your engorgement, because even when your dick is full of blood, it doesn't mean it's going to be totally erect either. Yeah, I've had that sometimes, especially with uh, back when I was on benzos, which I've now stopped. Um, the uh, the difficulty I was having sometimes with like erections was frustrating because I would get somewhat hard, like almost fully hard, but not fully. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could tell because like the, the bulbous part, the tip of the penis uh, wouldn't like it looked hard, but I could like flex it and it would grow even more. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that I was missing some sort of like and it was obviously drug induced, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I'm glad I quit that prescription because ugh, 
Oof, so you were, uh, when you were doing your flexing, you were activating your pudendal nerve probably <laughs> and your kegel muscles. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I don't really think I have anything like that to compare because I haven't really been on many RXs. Um, yeah. I love hearing from you about yours though. That's probably really helpful for people too who don't talk about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. They really affect like, if, if you're on a prescription medication, just Google the name of it and then put and sex <laughs> yes. and, uh, and you'll probably be quite interested in what comes up. In fact, it, might, it would be interesting if you wrote us like if you've experienced side effects or what possible side effects are to your medication and how uh, how it's affected you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah write to so. us. Pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com. That's an interesting one. Uh, one more before we go to break. And we've mentioned this time and again throughout the show. But uh, therapists can't diagnose erectile dysfunction. Um but doctors can. So, I mean, not that I'm saying yeah. therapists can't, but it's that they're not supposed to be the ones that would be expected to. And most of them, why would they? Because they don't have sexual health training. But erectile dysfunction typically begins a couple years before a heart attack. In my notes here, it says 43 months. So uh, one of our guests in... It was Erica Leroy, I think it was episode 10, season one, but her fiance passed away from a health-related issue and one of, she said, the red flags that they missed was his erectile issues because it is heart circulatory related. They might be able to refer you to a specialist though if they don't, like maybe a urologist or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, a urologist would be the person that you would definitely want to ask if not your doctor. Let's take a break. Hey everyone, it's Elle. I've said before that SpectrumBoutique.com has high quality, affordable, and ethically made sex toys for everyone. But did you know that Spectrum Boutique is also your place for gender-affirming tools such as dilators, compression clothing, packers, and harnesses? It's true! SpectrumBoutique.com wants you to enjoy your body and offers items to delight everyone. From experienced kinksters to curious beginners. Spectrum Boutique Online has books, tinctures, butt stuff, kegel tools, self-help sex writing, sex toys of course, lubricants. There is so much to discover on SpectrumBoutique.com and follow them on Instagram at ShopSpectrumBoutique to keep updated on exciting new items. Enjoy a flat rate shipping on toys and accessories in discreet packaging and use the code SBPDX to get 10% off your first order. That's SpectrumBoutique.com. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows, your favorite politics, sex, and self-help podcast. Today we're talking more about sex and genitals. Genitals. Genitalia. <laughs> Have you seen that video too? <laughs> you remember that? Oh my God. Yeah. How do you say that guy's last Show name? Show me it's your John genitals. La... Genitals. Show me your genitals. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember, honestly. He's... I just, I didn't even know the video at the time. All the kids in middle, like all the boys in middle school were singing it for some reason. <laughs> So I like Googled uh, it and I was like, good God, is this like what passes for like... It's a Canadian, uh, <laughs> he's a Canadian comedian and, and uh, actor. I forget his, how to say his name. Maybe you can. It's John L-A-J-O-I-E. He's Canadian. 
Yeah. John LaJoy? I don't know. Uh, but that's his song. Yeah. yeah. Show me your genitals. I remember um, watching the video and just being like, oof. I can't put my fist in your in your college degree and I don't want to hear about your childhood. Oh my God. Childhood dreams. Uh, Jesus. Uh, anyway, I'm really good at sex. God. Okay, I'll stop. Um, all right, so let's do book, book roulette. <laughs> Genitalia. I've just found a book called The Wonder Down Ooh. Under, The yeah. Insider's Guide to the Anatomy, Biology, and Reality of the Vagina. There is comment here by Emily Nagoski, author of Come As You Are, researcher, PhD, master person on sexual health. Uh, so this was written by two Swedish, Norwegian... This book was written by two researchers. Um, some of the language, I mean, it's there's the expectation that a book about a vagina usually has the expectation of speaking to women. But I encourage people to look at this book because this is the easiest to read, most comprehensive collection of research about how vaginas function in a myriad of ways. Uh, so let's find, let's pick a page. This was by Ellen Stocken Dahl and Nina Brockman, MD, The Wonder Down Under. A German study examined the sex lives of 1900 students in their 20s who were in steady relationships. It found a clear connection between how long couples had been together and how often they had sex. On average, the newly enamored couples had sex 10 times a month or two and a half times a week. 70% had sex more than seven times a month. After the first year, the number of times people had sex began to decrease. <laughs> I've said this for years. After the first year. <laughs> when the relationship had lasted between one and three years, fewer than half of respondents had sex two or more times a week. After five years, it hit rock bottom. By then, the frequency of sex was halved from 10 to five times a month. These findings have also been seen in other studies and among lesbian couples. So hmm. what, what does this tell us? It's, it's typical. It's typical for the amount of sex to wane over time. Our takeaways could be many. Is this bad? Is it good? You know, does, I guess it depends on the person. Uh, yeah. I think it's, you know, studies like that even if it's just a snapshot, it doesn't tell us everything, but it can tell us something. Uh, there were citations for how they sourced these studies. So I thought that was interesting. I wonder what like science around genitals will look like in a hundred years. You wonder what, what? We'll have completely different term, how science around genitalia mm. will look like their observations, their understanding, like mm -hmm. the types of medications that will exist, the recommendation recommendations that doctors make. Mm -hmm. I'd be really interested in like what that'll look like, you know, like what's it going to look like towards the tail end of our lives? Like I'm pushing for an engorgement totally dysfunction different. clinic for all genders. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yes. Uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, ooh, here, let's read a little bit from a different spot on HPV. As a rule, there's no cause for concern regarding HPV. Unlike with a herpes infection, your body will often 
get rid of a virus on its own the way it does with a cold. We know this because women who are checked for HPV over time often switch virus type. This indicates that the infections are short-lived and that women or people are reinfected with new virus types when they change partners. So this is something to keep in mind. Like when I said in a previous episode, I don't have the HPV that I had that caused me to have that little anogenital wart and an abnormal pap smear. I don't have that anymore because I didn't test positive for it, but I could still acquire a different type of virus. Um, Yeah. However, you said you, uh, you shed it out of the uterine lining, right? Cervical. Oh, cervical. Yeah. So you shed it out of the cervical lining. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's see. However, certain types of HPV can give some people a prolonged infection of the cervix. These types are called high-risk viruses, and the most common ones are HPV 16 and 18. Over time, an infection like this can develop into cancer. Number 16 alone accounts for more than half of the cases of cervical cancer and may also cause mouth and throat cancer as well as vaginal, vulval, and anal cancer. However, the development of cancer requires more than an infection. It's common to be infected with HPV-16, but very few people get cancer. This means that other factors are decisive for the development of cancer. For example, special vulnerabilities in the person infected or other environmental factors such as smoking. What these other factors are, we do not yet know. So in summary, they say almost all the people who get cervical cancer have an infection caused by HPV, but very few of those with an infection get cancer. Um, when we talk about people who are high risk for cancer, early death, obesity, health, mental health problems, it tends to be poor, poor people, poorer people. Um, and I think food, I think quality of food has a lot to do with it. Probably air quality. Those That study that came out recently, it's like, shocker, affluent areas make and use more uh, resources, but the effects and the toxicity dumps tend to be where poor people live, thus impacting the likelihood that people would be exposed to toxins and radiation. Let's see, we have two more books. So what do you think, fellatio or cunnilingus first? Uh, fellatio. Fellatio. Let's do what you're more comfortable with. Let's do it. Uh, also very gendered titles. This is the ultimate guide to fellatio by Violet Blue. How to go down on a man and give him mind blowing pleasure by Cleus <laughs> Press. This was published in, oh gosh, late nineties. I want to say early aughts. So oh, nice. You've recommended a uh, Cleus Press, uh, both on our website and, and in past episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This book came out in 2002. So like you said earlier, it's interesting to see what kind of language changes over time. How about... Increasing sexual energy and awareness for fellatio. Hmm. Three points are located on the mons at the top edge of the pubic bone in the center. Do you know where that is on you, John? The pubic bone? Your pubic uh, bone? Yeah. Okay. It's the part that generally gets like, uh, it's like in the center, right? Yeah, it's... And it get, you can kind of feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like a little mound that's above the top base of your dick, probably, just slightly. Yeah. Uh, pressing these points produces a warm, pleasant sensation and focuses energy and awareness on the entire genital system. This is great for helping him concentrate on arousal. Uh, I I pay attention to the spot. Do you ever do you ever touch this this part on your on your boyfriend? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I like doing a making a triangle of my hands sometimes to encircle 
balls, penis, if those are in my mouth or around them or anywhere really, breast, whatever, chest. But I'll I'll yeah. make a triangle with my hands this way and then use my top fingers to kind of like rub or push down. I mean, everything's moving around, but last night I did it and it's just like I looked at his face and he got like a soft little smile. So I feel like the warm, pleasant sensation thing is true. <laughs> and again, we yeah. talked about this last time for pubic bones. Everybody's different. Everyone has different amounts of padding and nerves. Enhancing orgasm. Yeah. Uh, this is on page 187. You can apply pressure directly on the, God, I hate this word. I never know if I'm saying it right. Perineum. <laughs> you can apply pressure directly on the perineum to make orgasms more intense. This increases blood flow to the genital area and is beneficial to all reproductive and pleasure, pleasure organs. So you already know about the taint. Yeah. Yeah. On the inside of Paints the fun. upper thigh, right at the crease where the thigh meets the body in front, there are six points that heighten pleasurable sensitivity and awareness. They amplify any genital pleasure you are providing. I'm wondering what her background is, if it has anything to do with, um, what's it called? The thing they stick the needles in you. Oh my God. What is the word? Acu acupressure. Acupuncture, acupressure points. Because she keeps yeah. talking about points. All right, let's see. Here's on page 42. Almost 40 years ago, so now almost 60 years ago, Masters and Johnson found that smaller, unerect penises grew more than the larger softies, showing that soft penises are no barometer for size. The truth about penis size is that there's a lot of erection variation down there. Out there. <clears throat> there's a lot of erection variation out there. But don't forget, your cock is as big as your brain, meaning that the real pleasure is the size of the pleasure you give and receive. <laughs> Just remember, John, your cock is God. as big as your brain. Uh, <sighs> uh -huh. um, okay, let's see. God. Oh, I missed it. Damn. Oh, wait, what page was I on? 42? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> on the next page, you might like this. So remember, this is in 2002. Uh, do vegetarians taste better? Hmm. Well, I would imagine that like anyone who ingests more fruits and vegetables probably does. And I've heard some things about meat not doing great things to the taste of your semen. No, it does not. Um, no, it does not. Um, I used to suggest to my partners that they would drink any kind of juice if they don't eat fruit. I'm like, hey... <laughs> Have some natural sugar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as someone who doesn't like loads of semen in their mouth in the first place, this is me. I'm not trying to shame. This is my issue. Uh, so Violet Blue says, things that can make the flavor of your semen strong or pungent are vitamins, asparagus, beets, coffee, cigarettes, and garlic. Strong substances like Garlic, these come. Come. <laughs> can Wait, what did you say? <laughs> garlic cum garlic cum no my cum my my cum gets really oniony if i eat a lot of onions i am not kidding really <laughs> yes absolutely oh Damn. i'll drink um if you see me drinking onions are super pungent though like i've i've like smelled my skin and it smelled like onions after eating too many onions exactly so like, i can see that because anything you put in your body is going to come out of your body maybe in a few different ways your sweat your pee your poo your semen your breath 
you know? I can't wait until they like come out with like little supplement pills you can take to make your cum taste like, I don't know, chocolate or vanilla or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> chocolate. <God. laughs> I was gonna say they do make little little the capsules you can eat to make your cum taste better, not like chocolate. It's called fruit. It's called apples and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh that's cool yeah no i if you see me if you see me at the club drinking a can of pineapple juice from the bar it means two things either i'm starving and i need calories in me now and i didn't bring food and i, I, I i'm not gonna order uh or i'm gonna be having sex in a couple hours and i ate really stinky food that day so i'm trying to process that shit out <laughs> <laughs> Usually I think six hours, six to 12 hours is like the best I can do for myself. I am not kidding. Uh, I am very aware of the workings of my body. My body is a tool for money, but for pleasure, I'm trying to optimize it. And I know that eating stinky food will not make my sexual experience as great personally. Maybe they don't care, but... uh, strong substances like these can influence your ejaculate in much the same way they do your urine to keep it smelling and tasting neutral avoid these substances she says at least 24 hours before oral sex and drink plenty of water carnivorous men have stronger tasting semen than those who stick to vegetarian diets though whether this is unpleasant to the person doing the tasting is debatable aha Uh, i actually wrote a whole piece on this for thrillist a couple years ago and this is backed up by science. It's just like the Mediterranean diet is the best for your heart and your circulatory health. And when they do these studies about people who live the longest around the world, they say that uh, vegetables, legumes, fish, um, pescatarian, yeah. nut-heavy diets are great for your body and your brain. Huh. What's good for your heart is good for your dick. Just remember that. And your pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do... The Ultimate Guide to Cunnilingus, also by Violet Blue, How to Go Down on a Woman and Give Her Exquisite Pleasure, published in also 2002. Hmm. I'm not going to read the section on do I smell weird or taste weird because guess what? The advice we just gave also goes for pussies. Ooh, doggy style, page 111. Let's see what she has to say about doggy style doggy style oral sex position oh the drawing is two women here that's cool so Hmm. this is giving uh different tips for how you can sit or lay while you're giving or receiving sex i loved reading this shit when i was a teenager uh sitting on your face it's like a blowjob when people think that blowjob means to like blow air on the dick she doesn't actually sit on your face unless you're into being smothered but kneels on either side of your head and squats onto your mouth. She can really control the action this way and can face either direction, her buttocks on your chest or the reverse, which gives her access to your genitals. Um, this is... I'd imagine gravity also helps with like penetration of the tongue if you do. Yeah. Um, B really likes it when I sit on his face. I often... It's actually really hard for me to have an orgasm this way unless I'm leaning forward and really comfortable like leaning against the wall. And even then I have, it has to be more of a psychological thing because I just can't relax enough when I'm propped up this way. Personally, that's just me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I definitely pretend uh, or not pretend. I prefer to uh, 
to have sex when uh, when I'm laying down, like in a more horizontal position, I'd find that I can come a lot faster. Mm-hmm. If I'm standing, it usually takes longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As we're speaking this, I just remembered that I uh, moments before we started recording, I realized I just started my period because I went to the bathroom. I went to go see if I had to shit and I didn't. I just had period yep. cramps and I had a little bit of blood on my toilet paper. And then I washed my oh. hands and then I think I got my water and then I forgot to put a cup or a tampon in. So I'm definitely bleeding into my pants right now, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing yeah. black right now. I'm wearing black sweatpants. And I also just Ooh. wanted to use this example to highlight the fact that people with vaginas sometimes, if they're not space cadets like me with ADHD who forget what they're doing, um, having a vagina can be really tough sometimes because you'll just start bleeding no matter where you are, or what you're doing. And not be regular in any way. Uh, So dark clothing helps. Yeah. So dark clothing helps. And also I hate the Republicans who think I could control this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So with that, uh, let's take a break so I can go put something inside myself. Are you in the San Francisco area searching for a dominatrix? Do you need someone who can lead you in kinky, legal, safe play, such as sensory deprivation, sissification, human furniture training, or boot worship? Mistress Krisha Spanks is your SF dom. Discover her on KrishaSpanks.com, that's K-R-I-S-H-A-S-P-A-N-X, and worthy applicants can request a session online or via KM. Krisha Spanks is a hedonist, secret keeper, humiliatrix, and visit her on Twitter at Krisha Spanks or KrishaSpanks.com. Are you looking to advertise your product or service to a growing worldwide audience? StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com wants to hear from you. Contact us, StrangeBedfellowsPDX at gmail.com to learn about affordable website and social media advertising. Whether your business is big, small, or weird, we offer sliding scale and affordable advertising. Email StrangeBedfellowsPDX at gmail.com to partner with us today. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My pussy feels much better now. Actually, my pussy was fine. My pants feel better now. Uh, <laughs> let's do some listener questions. So we received a question that says, I recently caught my boyfriend looking at gay porn. He seemed embarrassed, but assured me he is definitely straight. I've always felt that I don't make him completely happy, and he suffers from anxiety and depression. And now I'm wondering if it's because he's not living the life he truly wants to live. How can I get him to open up more about this? I dropped the issue since this happened. Hmm. So I have a few quick thoughts on this. Yeah. The first one being that you may not want to assume right away that he's gay, if that's kind of what's being implied here. However, the person seems pretty open-minded in that they haven't brought that up. It's just sort of implied that he's not living the life he wants to lead. Mm -hmm. The life he wants to lead may still be being in a relationship with you, having sex with you, but also being made comfortable to watch gay porn Mm. um, as part of his inventory of things to watch. Um, And it sounds like he either was watching it because he clicked on it or because, you know, he's bisexual or curious even, and maybe if you make him really comfortable around that, he'll uh, open up to you a bit more if that's your goal. Um, maybe ask if you want to watch some together. 
Mm. or in a more subtle way if he says no to that right away Mm -hmm. um i personally don't like mind much when my boyfriend looks at gay porn because you know we're gay so um (laughs) but if he were suddenly watching straight porn well i wouldn't be surprised because you know lots of gay guys watch straight porn for really for the dude um oh yeah really i back when i was in middle school i used to watch like straight porn for a while before i even like really knew what gay porn was and i would just look at the guy yeah huh it was also hot because i used to have like a big straight fetish which is like calmed down a lot now but uh-huh yeah huh that's really interesting it's also uh kind of nice because i wonder how many people are ever watching straight porn and looking at the guy or the you know like looking at whoever they want to be looking at anyway yeah. because they don't feel comfortable i love how the angles in straight porn so often have the guy's ass in the picture and i'm just like <laughs> damn okay it's good to know that like all the straight guys watching this are also seeing a guy's like ass and everything <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That makes me yeah. happy. I kind of because I was going to say so often because I usually would watch porn for the women, but I also like women and, I'll, you know, yeah, you know, people look at a lot of porn that doesn't mean that's what they want to do. But curiosity is real yeah. and it's nice to. Yeah. And there's around. novelty to that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think most of us aren't really, quote, living the lives we truly want to live for what that's worth. And I think that's why a lot of us suffer from anxiety and depression. (laughs) But yes, I do agree that she was implying that he would be happier if he was, you know, like out and had like a boyfriend, if that's what she's thinking. Yeah, that might not be the case that totally, like you said, I think you gave great advice might not be anything he's thinking at all. Yeah. But if he's with you still, there's enough reason he wants to be with you. Um wouldn't it be nice, Al, if we lived in a world where people who were, instead of being shamed about their curiosities or feeling internal shame about them, could go to full-service sex workers that were legal and safe and <laughs> were able to explore those desires? Wouldn't that be nice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just talked about this last episode. Instead of having even. to like test out their sexuality on people who they might feel less comfortable around who don't do that as a job. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> There is a book called, oh God, what's it called? Oh no. Uh, so a book by Edward Tejerian, T-E-J-I-R-I-A-N. Uh, I don't know what the book is called. I don't have it written down, but he wrote a book that has to do with same-sex male attraction. And he said that 45% of hetero men are consciously aware of some same-sex attraction based on the study. And that 60% of hetero identified men have engaged in some same-sex activity. Hot. Hot. Um, it's embarrassing to get caught or like for anyone to look at your porn browser history, I think. I, w- I would be a little, I would start to get kind of tingly and like feel s- nervous because I look at a lot of shit and like I don't want to be judged for it necessarily for my curiosities. Yeah. I don't want my boyfriend to think that, you know, anything that I'm not happy with him because of any of the shit I've looked at online. Um, it's cool that she wants to be proactive. I think you gave great advice, John. Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, another partner question. This is from a cis woman. Ooh. She says, usually when I express to my partner that I want a sexual act done to me, he responds with something like, didn't I just do blank blank for you? Was that good or not? Referring to say performing oral on me three days ago or something. <laughs> My specific issue today is wanting him to eat my ass and play with me down there before we have anal sex. 
He asked me that question again and kind of laughed, making me feel like it's a burden for him. He doesn't say no, and he'll still do it, obviously, but it's a huge turnoff and pisses me off. He's the love of my life, but our communication when it comes to our sex is seriously lacking. I'm quick to get mad when he responds like that, and then nothing gets solved. And I would too. Yeah, no shit. And nothing sexual happens. And even when I don't get mad, I'm trying to explain to him why I have issue with that response. And it doesn't matter what he did two days ago. He gets offended and acts like I am being irrational. I'm so frustrated with this and don't know how to fix it. I've also never had an orgasm, which is a whole other issue. No, it's not. But that adds immensely to my frustration (laughs) when my sexual wants don't get taken care of. I wouldn't be able to have an orgasm with this guy either. He sounds fucking ungrateful and lazy. Yeah, definitely. And like, I would say that around sex, people have a harder time. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for my first response, Mm -hmm. which is like, wow. But, uh, uh, if you're trying to explain it to him and he doesn't get it, maybe explain to him that, like, I don't know, he ate a burrito a week ago. That doesn't mean that he can't eat another burrito now or that he's not hungry now. Like, that's ridiculous to say. Like, mm-hmm. unless, and this is, I feel like it's likely not the case, but I'm giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt here. Unless it's some sort of, like, a power play of, like, I just mm. did that for you. Like, you want it again? You have to, like, ask for it. Like, and he wants to hear how good he was or not. Like, mm, well, But if it's actually, like, didn't I just do that for you? Like, did you like it? Like, then that, that can definitely be a turnoff. God. Um, I can I can <sighs> see that. And I do think that Elle's right. Like, your orgasms are 100% tied into your communication. Unless you have something like a health issue where you need to, like, have more awareness about that. But it doesn't sound like it. Um, no. So I would definitely make your pleasure a priority and ramp up the communication in that department and maybe tell him that like that he can't say that like he just has to stop unless you guys agree on it. Like yeah. if, unless he makes it very clear as to why he's saying that and it's like for I don't know like some sort of like dynamic that he likes and you guys can talk about that too. But the way he's doing it now it doesn't sound like he really cares a lot about your pleasure. No um, you can tell him that he can buy you this book, Tongue Tied, Untangling Sex Communication by Stella Harris. That book, he can buy that for you. Uh, Or you can buy it for yourself, but I think he owes you on this. Um, So number one, get someone to read that book. Uh, (laughs) But okay, I would say to him, say, it makes me feel guilty and it makes me feel ashamed or whatever. Put your words in, but choose them wisely. When you respond in a way when I ask for pleasure, it makes me feel guilty for asking and it turns me off. And maybe this is why I can't have an orgasm. Yeah. So I read the first part of this question to be because I was like, hey. So I read the first line and he snorted and he said, your boyfriend's bad at sex. <laughs> I know you're being Pawn. way more I'm like so so angry about this though um I was angry too but I'm just like I don't know maybe benefit of the doubt but the really yeah. part of me is just like yeah. okay what the fuck we, there's something wrong here in terms of communication yeah um, I, I would just I would keep it really really simple keeping in mind that a lot of cis men communicate with nagging and teasing like oh you're hungry again God, I gotta feed you like crazy. You know, like that's something my dad would say if I'm like, I'm hungry as a child. That's what this makes me think of. Like, oh, didn't I just 
put my tongue on your asshole like a week ago? Was that good or not? Well, I don't know, but I want to live more. So <laughs> yeah, like keep doing it. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think she kind of nailed it. She said, when he responds like this, it makes me feel like it's a burden. Nobody wants to feel like a burden. And just because you no. say he's the love of your life now, well, I don't know how old you are, but you're still alive. So you could meet other people that don't act this way. No. Gross. Um, yeah, I'm trying to make sure that we gave her enough practical advice. Um, I would try to very, very, very calmly and not the next time you ask for pleasure. Here's what I would do. I would say, honey, babe, can we schedule like 20 minutes to to 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour and up to an hour is great, but a lot of people don't have time. Can we schedule this time? I want to talk to you about our sex life and then let him actually like Hmm. stew about it for a day or 12 hours or eight hours. Let him actually have concern and wonder what's really important. And then when you sit down, thanks for making time with me, babe. This is really important to me. I've been thinking about it a lot and I talked to some sexual health professionals and I think that I feel ashamed to ask you for pleasure and it makes me harder to experience pleasure so when i ask you for pleasure can you please never respond that way yeah i think if you communicate that then you've established a boundary and then you can actually take action if he crosses it rather than having to revisit the question each time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then maybe check yourself just think if you do anything like this too like if he's like hey babe you know i could really go for a blow job don't be like again <laughs> yeah. and maybe if he has like trouble following through with the boundary you've set you can be like oh like tell him afterwards which i don't think you absolutely you definitely don't have to but if you choose to you could be like yeah i really liked what you did right there but tell him like right after so if a couple days later he's like didn't I just do that for you? Did you like it? And like, you can be like, I already told you I liked it. That's why I want you to do it again. Exactly. Why are you asking me? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Would you prefer I don't ask you to do this ever? (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. Or the next time he asks to have sex. No, that would be toxic. But like me being a dick, I would totally be like, you want to have sex? We just did that like two months ago. Like, can you imagine? (laughs) Oh my God. God. Yeah. Turn the tables on him. If like, he doesn't follow through once you've communicated to him and see how he likes it. (laughs) (sighs) Oh God. Um, people like this. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, yeah, let's do this one. So click this link goes to great feedback from people who talk to me about their genital piercings. Uh, Next question. I want to get my penis pierced, but I'm concerned about side effects or long-term healing issues. Is there anything to be afraid of? Um, I'm going to say real quick that the only person I ever dated who had a Prince Albert penis piercing, um, it was the same fuck boy who didn't like Fiona Apple. And he had a lot of healing issues, a lot of healing issues. And we also like having an erection or any engorgement for him was very off the table for like a month. And then for three or four months, it was very difficult. It could be painful. He had issue with it. But um, yeah, let's just read some of these. So there's first lady she says i used to have four labia piercings and they were fun for a while but i ended up taking them out because they would twist around and it was extremely uncomfortable i still have little scar tissue tubes that you can feel through the skin nar Hmm. i've had my face pierced 12 
times. I never had my genitals pierced. I did have my nipples pierced three times each. I had some healing issues, uh, not with the third go around. You want to read some of these, John? Yeah. So one of the responses was really interesting, and it's from someone who worked at a tattoo shop as a piercer for about two years. Mm. Um, and they said that mucous membranes heal like a dream compared to skin or cartilage. So tongues, septums, smileys, labia, hood, etc. usually have a really quick healing time and no real need for extra attention. It's actually places like earlobe, nipples, and eyebrows with very little blood flow that take a year or more to heal. Hmm. Um, and that tissue loses elasticity over time and genital tissue especially doesn't have a lot of use for contracting back into place. Uh, in fact, expansion and changes in shape or size is what the skin there is designed for. Mm. So naturally, you'll have to increase gauge size if you want the piercing snug around the jewelry. Uh, yeah. You'll see really large gauges in people who have had labia slash penile piercings for a long time. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. That's something to keep in mind, too. The weight of the jewelry will cause the, the piercing hole area to stretch over time anyway, especially if it's really heavy, um, which could, could lead to yeah. sensitivity issues it depends on the person everybody's different with their nerves um here's my piercer friend jasmine wright uh or i'm sorry my tattoo friend jasmine wright she was a piercer it was not her favorite she prefers to tattoo she says my nipple piercings went completely numb within a year of being pierced and took almost 10 years after removing them to regain feeling so with those odds i'd say it's not a good idea I don't have a lot of nipple sensation, but mine is coming back and I've had my piercings out for about seven years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else? I'm reading a, a couple of these from uh, people with penises who have gotten Prince Albert piercings. Yeah. And one of them says, I have a Prince Albert. It was a very 18 year old me impulse decision. The healing process was rough. Sex wasn't pleasant for several months afterwards, which sucked as I was 18 and very horny, but I don't regret it. I have a lot of respect for people who are able to do that because I am terrified <laughs> of getting any sort of piercing done, like on my penis or on my butt, like anywhere. Just mm -hmm. the thought of something actually piercing the flesh there and creating a hole that I can't reverse, it, very scary to me. That's interesting. Um, in case it would affect my libido at all. Oh my God. Um, yeah. All the ways you've abused yeah. your body though. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's... okay let's see uh here's one i had my clitoral hood pierced and it was the easiest and fastest healing piercing i've ever had oh this is madison young speaking porn porn star sex oh, cool. educator madison young yeah i had zero complications and it was the most sexually rewarding piercing i really loved it uh, especially the first year i had a lot of increased sensitivity when I really got into BDSM, I was sometimes a little concerned that a flogger might get tangled in it. And I did have a partner with a septum ring who became entangled for just a humorous moment when I was receiving oral sex. My piercing came out during a porn scene I was performing in. My scene partner accidentally swallowed the bead during oral sex, and I ended up taking it out and not putting it back in. <laughs> Vulvas are super mm. resilient and fast healing. Um... I was actually, that was another reason I didn't want to get any genital piercings. I remember walking down the street one day, I was going to a, ha, an Albertsons in Oceanside, California. And uh, I was 18 or 19. And this guy I didn't know from across the street, he's like, hey, what's the most painful piercing you ever had? And I looked at him and I was like, my asshole. 
<laughs> because hmm. don't fucking talk to me, man. But um, really, uh, I don't. I never wanted to get my genitals pierced because I was afraid of during sex tearing them. My face, I wasn't so worried yeah. about. Ooh. Sorry, I found another one. Do you want to read one and then I'll read this one? Sure. Um, so here someone said uh, she found the vertical to be uncomfortable over time and removed it other than for work, but it does cause overstimulation of her clit, which in turn made climaxing harder over a long time of having it. Ooh, interesting. Hmm. hmm. Uh, here's a friend. I have four zero gauge. That's pretty big. That's that's semi close to that's like a straw. That's pretty close to an average straw, not a cocktail Oof. straw. A cocktail straw is what I can put through my nose, actually, because I had my septum stretched to like an I think it's an eight now. It was a six gauge. If you don't know gauge sizing, that means nothing to you. But about a cocktail straw, I can fit through my nose. But this zero gauge is bigger. So four zero gauge outer labia piercings, two on each side. I started with 20 gauge. The average ear piercing hole is like an 18 gauge, I believe, an 18 or a 20 to give you an idea. Hmm. I started with 20 gauge and stretched them a gauge or two every seven weeks. I began having sex with my partner the same day, although it's not recommended. However, I had no complications. Issues I've had. With the smaller gauges, I experience more discomfort because of smaller surface area when pulled or tugged hurts more and is more prone to cause micro tears. I compare this to tiny pinches using your fingernails as opposed to a chunk of meat and pinching with your fingertips. <laughs> she says, at some point during a BDSM session using single tail whips, ah, here we go again with the whips, I caught the snap of a whip right on the edge of where skin meets metal and it drew blood and obviously toward my skin. Tight pants were bothersome Ouch. at first. Every now and again, if I sit on them wrong or get up, it causes some pretty unpleasant feelings, similar to when you fall asleep on your ear when it's bent and the pain of it unfolding. Yeah. So go to a Damn. a really like definitely licensed piercer. Yeah. Maybe not at like uh, your friend's house in a basement or something. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, I wonder if people ever do it on themselves without trained expertise. God. Yes. Oh, God. No, I've, I've watched my friends pierce themselves. Yeah. No, I. not my favorite. Uh, a friend in yeah. high school was 16. She was interesting. She was a, at the time, uh, no sex until marriage, um, hip Christian, hmm. who ended up piercing both of her nipples and her clit with a sewing needle and by ran oh God, using no. a phone book as the backing. Mm. This is what happens when you repress your children. <laughs> God. <laughs> True. Uh, okay. Some guy had a history of harassing his ex. And... Oh, his ex's uh, husband, oh, I his believe. Ex's, well, his ex I was and the, her husband. the article earlier. Yeah. Did you see this? Yeah. Did you see this article? Yeah. Texas man facing six months in jail for sending chocolate penis to sheriff's department worker. This was written by yeah. Jalisa Castrodale for Vice. It has been almost two years since Thomas Gourneau anonymously mailed a chocolate penis to his former girlfriend's ex-husband. Okay. And that candy dick has been creating trouble for him ever since. So... 
<laughs> Candy dick. <laughs> this guy mailed oh. the edible genitalia. This was in Waco area, I believe. It doesn't matter. This guy, okay. This guy mailed the, quote, edible genitalia to Tracy Chance's office at the county sheriff's office in December of 2017. She responded by subpoenaing his financial records and then found out that Jesus. he was the dick sender. <laughs> so she suspected that he was the one who sent it because apparently he had been harassing them for a while. So yeah. the spokesperson for the district's attorney office said that sending a chocolate dick wasn't the first time Gourneau had allegedly harassed Chance and that he had a, quote, long history of improper communication with the victim. The criminal complaint against the 43-year-old says he fully intended to harass, annoy, alarm, abuse, torment, or embarrass her, and that was emphasized by both the dick and the enclosed message suggesting that Chance engage in fellatio. So he probably said something like, suck my dick. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the article's a little bit misleading because if not for the long history of harassment, this probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. <laughs> So good. I'm glad they got him if he was a little fuckhead who had been bothering her and him for a while. So wait, his ex-girlfriend's ex-husband? That was stupid. Uh, no, I think it was just his... Let me see. Yeah, his former girlfriend's ex-husband. Former girlfriend's Yeah, so I guess his ex-girlfriend's... His ex-girlfriend's ex-husband. Yeah. That, that seems like quite a chain. That's but cool. <laughs> oh my God. At, one, at some point, I just like encourage people to step back from the drama in their lives and be like, wait, what am I doing? <sighs> yeah. Uh, this one I thought was... Oh, yeah, I've seen those all over Instagram. The gummy dicks, the chocolate dicks, the yeah. glitter bombs, the things that they're like, send this to prank people. And I'm like, eh. Ship a dick. Maybe don't. Yeah. <laughs> Ship a dick Send it to like is people you know one. who think like you know they would think it was funny like maybe a best friend or something but not to like your ex girlfriend's ex husband what the fuck depends what you want to spend your money yeah. on I guess <laughs> yeah uh, and then this next one this is also about a uh, dick so huh, bgr.com uh, I thought this was clickbait but uh, it looks like an actual article FDA warns that quote big penis supplement works a little too well so there is a what country is this from there was a pill that you could buy off the internet there is a male enhancement supplement you can buy off the internet called big penis and they found out when the fda uh, investigated that there is an inclusion of sildenafil i'm so bad of, at saying that it's the generic yep. name for viagra so these are you're not supposed to include prescription drugs in a non-prescription supplement. Um, you can yeah, no, that's illegal. Give people heart attacks. <laughs> FDA laboratory analysis confirmed that big penis contains the active ingredient in Viagra. This undeclared ingredient may interact with nitrates found in some prescription drugs, and may lower blood pressure may lower blood pressure to dangerous levels. People with diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or heart or heart disease often take nitrates. So <laughs> the guy writing this article says, I'm not going to pass judgment on anyone seeking out enhancement supplement, but if you're buying a bottle of pills with, quote, big penis written in red and black on the side, you should probably know what you're getting yourself into, and it's not going to be good. 
the dangers of buying things online. Thank you to everybody who listened to our penis and vagina episode. Um, I'll do, let's say in an upcoming episode, we'll open with some vagina facts to even it out. How does that sound, John? Cool. Great. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll revisit uh, engorgement. Uh, dysfunction. What was it again that we said? <laughs> yeah. We'll revisit uh, engorgement dysfunction yeah. in some future episodes and uh, and see what maybe some, if we have any uh, clinicians or experts on the show in the future, we can maybe uh, talk with them about that. Yeah. Let's pitch it. Change the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next cool. time. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strangebedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to Pillow Talk at StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com and find me, John, on Instagram at Metric.Cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.